the government has instituted by claiming that there's some sort of an agreement not to be sending uh, NATO Western manufactured tanks and infantry fighting vehicles, because if those 10 Leopard 2s are sent, then the Germans don't have an excuse anymore. Now, we know there is no such agreement because the British authorities and the American authorities and the Czech authorities, and the governments of a few other countries or ministers from a few other countries have likewise said that there is no such agreement in NATO that would prevent the uh, NATO countries to be sending Western manufactured uh, main battle tanks and infantry fighting vehicles. Um, so the critical thing here is that if those leopards get to be sent, the Germans no longer have an excuse not to allow others to be sent or not to be sending their own. Does that make sense? It's about that. It's not about the 10. It's about opening the floodgates for the rest of German manufactured equipment and the rest of Western manufactured tanks and infantry fighting vehicles. Ah, oh, thanks, Dan. Because, you know, when I heard that, I put, because I was thinking about that, it could be this, uh, you know, decision that it will be swapped for the, uh, well, T-72s or something like that with other countries. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I heard that they're not in very good shape. So, uh, so probably that, that's, the, that, that's the way what you, you said is the, the, the good idea. Okay, thanks very much. Bye. Thanks, Mikoe. Um No, of course, it's you know t- ten isn't a very practicable number for a new type of main battle tank. It's not about the ten; it's about the a much greater quantity from other countries, right? Um, lots of Western allies operate leopards and leopard twos, uh, so it would be a lot easier than to to be sending you know leopard twos from other countries once some are already there. Um, and that then could actually make a difference. Now, what I'm more hopeful for is the U.S. actually transferring those three hundred odd. Abrams tanks to Poland, and then Poland releasing, I believe, the 232 PT-91 Twardy variants, because those are, um, you know, something that the Ukrainians can kind of put into service more or less immediately, even more immediately than a different kind of tank, because it is so very similar to uh, the sort of T-72s that already operate, right? And quite a lot of parts are interchangeable. Um, Not not some of the high-end stuff, but things like, you know, tracks and nuts and bolts and the like. Um, are apparently pretty much all identical, or are indeed all identical. Portland, how uh, how significant would 232 uh, PT-91 Twardies be for Ukraine? I mean, it, it would be huge. Um, we know that Ukraine already has around 200, and they've been very quiet with them. I actually haven't seen them in action. Um, another 232 would give them you know, around 400 to 430 tanks um, that are superior to anything the Russians can bring into action. And uh, that would definitely improve. Um, I would be a lot more comfortable um, with, with what I think the Ukrainians can and probably will do. Um when they uh, really get their southern counterpunch going. Um, <clears throat> having uh, another 232 tanks is, is going to be just massive. I, I would prefer if it was 232 good Western tanks, but, you know, the Twardy is it's largely interchangeable with equipment they already have. It's got a Western standard main gun. It's got good optics. It's got much better fire suppression capabilities than um, than anything that the Russians have. It's a genuinely decent tank. It's, it's as good as you can make a tank on a T-72 chassis, at least. Um, yeah, I, I think it would be very significant. Uh, that, that's only one thing, uh, that this 200... Uh over 200 uh, tanks Poland has sent. It was uh, 272s and uh, some of the modernized uh, uh, T-72s. So all PT-91 Twardy, they're still in Poland. So Twardy has never been sent anywhere else. Uh, you know, so only two countries right now, they're using them and uh, Poland didn't send them to Ukraine, so... That is definitely not true. I've seen them, man. I've seen them. Um, Yeah. 
you if you if you seen then uh uh fathers in, in ukraine so well uh, because I haven't seen any any pictures yet, there, I, I heard some rumors, but uh, it was just rumors, so it wasn't confirmed yet. So, okay. So the, no, the official line at the very least. Because because Poland I know that sent... because I know that Poland sent two hundred forty or two hundred plus T seventy twos, and uh, because Polish army have uh, right now around two seventy Tfadis at all. So uh, that's that, that's quite surprising, but maybe I don't know something. So <laughs> okay. So so that's the thing, right? The official line was that Poland's only sent because the non-Tfardi. Sorry, Mikwe. Just let, let's get this clear, right? The official line was the Poland only sent the non-Tfardi, otherwise upgraded, so not basic T72s, but there were the Tfardi variant. There were uh, a less upgraded variant than the Tfardi variant, and the Tfardis they kept for now. And hopefully they will be releasing the Twardy variant now as well. So that's the that's the two things. Yes, because that's what we sent. It was the well naked two seventy twos, and uh, it's two seventy two M one R if I'm not wrong. And it is the it's changed because they have a, a different radio, they have a thermal camera and uh, this kind of stuff. But it's quite uh, it's not very modernized. It's rather a modification. And that's what I know because I know that in Polish army there was only 270 something Tfadis. Uh, so, uh, it, to be honest, it could it, it's rather impossible to that that uh, Poland sent already uh, around 200 Tfadis uh, to, to to Ukraine. But well, <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you, Mikolai. Um So yeah, Portland. I think what you probably saw in Ukraine were other T72s that were upgraded by Poland, but not to the Tfadis standard, but to uh, somewhat different standard and maybe they you know look look very similar because of the similar uh, reactive armor plates and the like um yeah i've i i know my tanks dude and uh yeah i i've, I've got the pictures okay excellent i mean the the more better stuff there is in ukraine the better so i i don't really care i just know what uh what was officially reported at the time and what was reported by ukrainians as well uh Dolman, might i interject yeah, sure, Auntie, go ahead. Uh, and there is, uh, I think, something that might be obvious to some, but less obvious to others might be that uh, e- even in Western militaries, there might be a slight discrepancy between what they actually have in in usage, what they have in uh, in storage, and it's stored in a in a way that they can they can actually put to use. And uh, no military would would ever publicize the fact of how, how many they would actually have in storage ready to be uh, uh, put to use if uh, if uh, the situation called for it, because that would obviously uh, be a big no-no with regard to uh, all sorts of uh, OPSEC matters. That's a, that's a great point, Nanti, yeah. It's um, maybe there's one thing what is officially reported, and then there's the other one of what that's uh, what was actually said. Um, Auntie, did you have some more questions for Portland earlier about the uh, missiles? Yeah, what, one thing that came to my mind was that uh, uh, the ranges between these uh, Tochkas that the Russians seem to be utilizing as uh, heavy fires, uh, uh, or at least are beginning to utilize, and uh, and the uh, Ukrainian uh, HIMARS and and Gimlers uh, and their Gimlers uh, is that um, I'm curious, uh, Portland. What do you think? How how high would you rate uh, these Tochka launchers on the uh, list of uh, Ukrainian targets? Mm, probably not that high. They're uh, they they honestly their their main use for the Russians is uh, terror bombing. And that is destructive and it's appalling, uh, but it's not that militarily useful. Um, right. The main reason that Ukraine is able to use them as efficiently and effective as they as they are is is really um, is essentially because they have this incredible intelligence network because they're fighting on home turf. Uh, Russia isn't, so it's much harder for them to find. Uh, appropriate targets in in a useful time frame. 
And right. with that, I, uh, I have to head to bed. Okay, thank you so much uh, for my night. part, and uh, good night. Good night. Thank you all. Good night. Um, sleep well? Yeah, it is very late. It's 2 a.m. Uh, Bruno, you just joined us. Uh, do you have a question or comment? Hello, good morning. So, I just want to ask, uh, if, uh, does a tank have any defense mechanism against the law or javelin? I mean, there's, there's reactive armor, but specifically the way these uh, anti-tank uh, guns work, they're top attack and there's much less armor up on the turret and they, they penetrate relatively easily. Okay, thank you. And uh, just um, another question, please. Uh, what's, uh, does uh, Abrams, it's the, the best tank and why? Thank you. Goodness. Um, yeah. Well, it's 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 as as best um, constructed as possible. Um, it's very well armored, and notably, the way it's designed inside is designed in a way that uh, its operators do not sit on a pile of explosives and thus do not get blown up. Um, you know, when when an anti tank uh, missile like that hits, that is to say, the way that many Soviet tanks are designed, uh, the gunner literally sits around all of the shells, in the middle of all of the shells that the tank carries, which are relatively exposed. So when you know, a, a missile with an explosive warhead hits the tank, all of those shells inside the tank often also cook off or, or detonate. And then that leads to a much bigger explosion uh, than normally happens. Does that make sense? Um, whereas in an Abrams tank, for example, the munition storage is separate from where the humans are, so the survivability is a lot better. Um, it also has good armor and it has a very big gun, and that plays into it. Um, the slight problem with Abrams is that it's particularly uh, fuel consumptive, and that fuel, that high level of fuel consumption, because it's powered by a gas turbine as opposed to an internal combustion engine, um, makes it less convenient whenever there's a, let's say, suboptimal logistics to support it. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Bruno. Uh, some more announcements, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, anybody who'd like to jump up, uh, jump up to the speaker spot, ask a question, make a comment, uh, ask something to do with Ukraine and the Russian invasion thereof, just click that request button in the bottom left corner of your screen and we will bring you right up. Uh, by way of a few other announcements, uh, we are proud to be here and supported by Maria Aid. Uh, Maria Aid is a charity organization uh, based in Canada with the second branch currently opening in the US. Um, and it's run by, among others, several members of the Canadian Armed Forces, including the last commanding officer of Operation Unifier, the Canadian Armed Forces training mission in Ukraine, uh, Colonel Melanie Lake. Uh, Maria Aid just got a uh, thank you from the commander of the 4th Rapid Reaction Brigade of the National Guard of Ukraine uh, for its contributions and helping the uh, 4th Rapid Reaction Brigade uh, of the National Guard of Ukraine. Uh, Maria Aid has also been providing, among other uh, reconnaissance drones uh, that help Ukrainians by keeping them out of the line of fire, making sure that the Ukrainian reconnaissance units do not need to go and cross the Russian lines, putting them uh, putting themselves at much more risk, and instead of being able to overfly them with these fantastic new experimental Fury drones, ten of which are now in operation and overflying Russian lines. Uh, Mead is also why we get to bring lots of excellent speakers, experts from all areas, into this water report space. Um, there are four scheduled speakers, scheduled guests. Well, actually, there's five, but there's four slots. Uh, there are four sets of guests joining us today at 6 a.m. Eastern, that's noon in Central Europe, 1 p.m. in Kiev. We will be joined um, and we will be joined first by Volodymyr Kogutyak, uh, who is a vice president of a Ukrainian organization based in France. It's particularly meaningful for today is July the 14th and July the 14th is Bastille Day. Uh, later on at noon Eastern, that is 6 p.m. Central European time, 7 p.m. Kiev, will be joined by Irina Shev. Irina is a Ukrainian-born Portuguese journalist who spent much of the last four and a half months reporting from Ukraine all over Ukraine, anywhere from Kiev to Odessa to Mykolaiv, as well as very much importantly from eastern Ukraine, close to the front lines in Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts. 
an hour later, we'll be joined by two more journalists, uh, Bryce Wilson and Guillaume Ptak, uh, who are currently based in Kramatorsk and are currently covering, very much covering the war in the east of Ukraine. They'll be reporting on their uh, visits to Bakhmut a couple of days ago in Sivyersk, I believe, yesterday. Uh, they might be going to back to Bakhmut today. If you want to check out some pictures that they took in Bakhmut a couple of days ago, before that major shelling of Bakhmut, the night before last, uh, we can uh, I'll, I'll put those in the nest momentarily as well. And then later on at 7 p.m. Eastern, that is 1 a.m. Central European time, 2 a.m. Kiev, we will be again joined for the third or maybe even the fourth time by retired General Mick Ryan of the Australian Army, um, who's been... Uh, tweeting out of the War uh, War of the Future account, analyzing uh, the movements of armed forces in Ukraine and um, making some medium-term prognoses as well. And uh, I think, Yehuda, you'll be the one talking to him in the last slot of the day, aren't you? As per usual, it's my five-second rule. Uh, if they don't answer, that's a yes. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Antti, go ahead. Yeah, I was wondering if I could uh, pile on a bit about the uh, the tanks. Sure. Yeah, so uh, uh, basically what you described uh, in one way or other applies to uh, to all all base all western main battle tanks uh, to a fashion because um, all of them uh, have uh, superior cruise survivability and uh, firepower and uh, mobility uh, uh, when compared with the uh, the uh, kit that the Russians are currently utilizing in in Ukraine—that's uh, the Leopard uh, Leopard Twos, even the Leopard Ones, with uh, some caveats, and uh, the French Leclerc, the uh, the British Challenger Two, uh, the American Abrams, and uh, and uh, the Israeli uh, Merkava. I believe number seven is the latest iteration of that one, but uh, obviously the. Uh, Sadly, it will it will be uh, you know the hell, hell will freeze over before before we see those utilized in the Ukraine because uh, Israelis would uh, never part with them. But uh, uh, the the Abrams does does also even though uh, the fuel consumption uh, is is a bit of a logistics problem. Uh, it the one advantage it it has all all, all over the. Uh, other Western tanks is that there are really large numbers of them in storage already. I think the uh, the second one, regard with numbers that would be best, is uh, is the Leopard uh, uh, A uh, Leopard two A two A six two A four. I think the I'm not sure about. Uh, I don't have the precise numbers uh, in my head, but uh, I, I believe the older variants are much more prevalent in uh, in Western armies, uh, and uh, they would let's let's just say that they would probably be more likely to part with those instead of the uh, I believe the two A seven is the the is the most modern variant in production. If I if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, I mean the the Russian Russian design philosophy is is different. It uh, it doesn't uh, to use a technical term. Uh, they didn't they don't give shit give a shit about uh, crew survivability. It's it's all about uh, speed and uh, firepower. Though uh, the interesting is that that's been already pointed out several times in this space that that at least the T seventy twos have a really really low reverse speed it i think it was like 10 10 kilometers an hour something like that so uh yeah i just wanted to point that out thanks thank you Andy. um more images are now emerging from uh, this morning's uh russian attack on civilians in vinitsa uh there are currently reports of six wounded and two killed including a small child uh, as a missile attack struck in the middle of the city, uh, striking a business center and destroying several residential buildings around it as well. Uh, but these are very much preliminary numbers and, you know, just look, looking at the pictures and looking at the destruction that they've caused in the center of this uh, Western European city, um, we can expect uh, that casualty, that, that toll number to, to, to rise significantly 
uh, over the over the coming hours. There were also reports of them striking Lviv in uh, parts of Odessa Oblast. It's not entirely clear where in Odessa Oblast, but it seems to be outside of the city of Odessa. Uh, and these seem to be, as per usual, uh, Russian retaliatory strikes uh, for whenever Russian military targets get hit um, in Kherson or eastern Ukraine or, or wherever else, uh, they tend to launch a volley of cruise missiles at civilians in the west of Ukraine as a retaliation. Uh, seen this before. It's not news. It's not an accident. It is simply what Russians do. Yeah, I think um, the the Z stands for uh, zero zero chance for victory. Anti, have any uh, additional countries uh, ratified? To, to change the topic somewhat to something less uh, less depressing while we're still getting the details in. Uh, have any additional countries ratified Finnish and Swedish accession to NATO? You know, that, that great threat, according to Russia, to, uh, to Russian uh, interest and sovereignty. Well, sadly, I, I do have to uh, 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 fa- fail you in this regard because I haven't had a chance to uh, to look look through the, uh, the news feeds today. Uh, so... Uh, I, I'm less well-informed than you are, sadly. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I, I've, it, Italy possibly having a change of government uh, coming in, of course, that's uh, possibly going to slow things down additionally beyond uh, where it was expected previously. Yeah, but I mean, uh, the 12, 12 we got yesterday, that's not too bad either. Yeah, the only problem is you need to, uh, need to have all of them. It's like uh, NATO accessions, like Pokemon in that sense. True, but I, I'm trying to, you know, stay positive. Absolutely, absolutely. Peter? Democracy is messy. It's always going to be messy. Italy is going through an evolution in of itself. We don't know what's going to happen. Mario Draghi could come out a champion. He put forth the question, hey, do you want me? Italy's going to answer. If they're smart, they answer in the affirmative. They want Draghi. Who else will they have? Ugh. There's no good answer. Democracy is messy. Even republics are messy as hell. <laughs> but it out evolves autocracy. One of the greatest things about Ukraine's decision to believe in itself, to believe in its own agency, to believe in democracy, is the transformation it's going to go through and is going through and is fighting for with blood every single day. This is all a part of a greater question. Where do we want to see humanity go? That is why we're here in this space, because we want to see humanity go in the affirmative. There's a reason when, uh, you know, you have Dolman, we have Axel. There are so many great moderators here. And then you have a name, guy named Gurney. Gurney Halleck may or not may or may not be a Star Trek character, but the thing about Star Trek is that it answers in the affirmative: humanity will progress, get past this, and be better. And that's why we support. That's why we support Ukraine. That's why we're here. So when you get a chance, if you can, give the Maria Ed great organization. I want to thank you all. Thank you all for listening to my rambling. You have a lovely rest of the day, wherever you are. In Kiev, in Lviv, in Amsterdam, in Vilnius, in every country that is a participant of democracy. And every country, if you are here from an autocracy, I hope you get that chance as well. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. And I'll just add that, you know, unless you're in uh, Moscow, then it doesn't apply. So, Doman, what, what do you want to talk about? I'm not, not entirely sure. I'm trying to see exactly what's what's happened in Vinitsa. Um, earlier today, there were reports of uh, there being an A-50, uh, AWACS reconnaissance aircraft uh, that Russians were flying over Belarus. It was quite clear that they were definitely going to be striking something in, in, in the west of Ukraine, us, using that as a fire direction, fire correction system. Um, there was quite a lot of fear that they were going to be using it as a double tap as well. That is to say, you now strike a place, wait for all of the emergency services to get there, and then strike it again. 
uh, that seems not to have happened as of yet. Um, but maybe that's because they, they thought they did enough damage, possibly, when there was three missiles uh, that struck the site in the center of Vinica, uh, right next, literally across the road from the theater. Um, and thus far, you know, there have been two deaths confirmed, but um, looking at it, it's quite likely that there will be many more still uh, as, as time goes on. Peace for Ukraine. Good morning, and Slava Ukraini. Good morning, Slava. Slava Nati. Smith Voroham. I'm not going to ask if anyone is going well. I hope in your respective countries far away from the bomb. Well, breathing, eating, sleeping, and doing relatively well. I mean, good. And, uh, yeah, I've uh, been seeing, again, the Russians bombing and destroying everything. Very very extremely upsetting but they will be bombed back they will be fought back they will be destroyed as they should and uh, i would like just to sort of highlight that today it has started in the hague the ukraine accountability conference which is done together with the international criminal court in short icc um dutch uh, foreign minister and eu commission um and the mfa for ukraine just tweeted a small thank you for the support of so many countries um, we're grateful to all supporters of Ukraine's application against Russia in the International Court of Justice under the Genocide Convention. Another confirmation that we are on the right path and justice shall prevail, yes, because all criminals will be held accountable for all their war crimes for the genocide they are committing. Make no mistake, you will all be brought to justice, so you should stop right about now and go back to Russia, you will still be held accountable if you, even if you stop now. But the less if you stop now, you stop committing this, the less will be adding to your tab. But there's no mistake, you will be held accountable. You will pay. Thank you. Thank you, Peace for Ukraine. Um, quite rightly so, as well. Um, as you know, the, the accountability conference, the starting in the Hague today, this is, you know, it's kind of a, a, a big formal step in saying Russians are committing numerous war crimes in Ukraine, uncountable war crimes in Ukraine. They're committing genocide, and this has to be not only documented and then prosecuted, but it needs to be done so comprehensively and thoroughly. Um, you know, such conferences aren't necessarily the most usual way of going about this. Uh, it's simply due to the, the scale uh, and the volume of war crimes and crimes against humanity that Russians occupying forces have been committing in Ukraine, right? Um, just this morning, so extensive shellings uh, by Russians of cities like Kramatorsk, but also Mykolaiv, where they've hit a school twice, as well as a number of residential buildings, um, killing several people again, uh, strikes in Lviv, uh, large strike on Vinica where three missiles struck a, a sort of a, a business center damaging a number of residential buildings nearby and thus far there's a, at least two confirmed dead uh, in the, in that strike as well but oh. there are of course plenty of cases where um, you know the, the, it's not all standoff weapons there are you know, tens of thousands possibly hundreds of thousand cases of Russian occupying troops torturing and raping um, and, uh, cutting off limbs of civilians in occupied territories um, often killing civilians in occupied territories after having raped them and tortured them repeatedly um, and the the sheer scale the sheer volume of crimes uh, that the Russian occupiers have committed in Ukraine is not necessarily unprecedented but it's uh, um, certainly not something that can be uh, turned a blind eye a blind eye to, and something that has to be always and thoroughly and fully and comprehensively documented and prosecuted. Uh, some people might say, "Oh, there's no point. It's not like Putin is ever going to end up in the Hague." You know, to everybody saying that, just 
think of what was said about Milosevic in, in 1995 and 1996. Oh, he's never going to be given up. He'll never stand justice. Uh, you know, have to have to stand have to stand uh, in the halls of justice. And yet, eventually, he did. I mean, he died before it was. Uh, uh, he died before uh, he was convicted. But you know, nevertheless, he did. And Putin might as well. The, the worst thing to do is to turn away from this and say, oh, it's never going to happen anyway. It's all wasted time matter. Uh, a quick note on, on Vinitsa uh, from, uh, from a local who's just writing to me, saying that uh, the square where they hit in Vinitsa next to the theater is one of the most densely packed places in that part of the city. Uh, the traffic alone there is insane because there's a major crossroads there. And many people like to go there by foot, and usually there's a hundred or so pedestrians on the square, with many more passing through on the cars. Um, I will also know that there's reports of over fifty cars on fire around uh, the area uh, where the where the strike happened. So that's you know, um, it's this this is also where I'm coming, saying that you know, there's there's two confirmed dead thus far, but there will unquestionably be more. Uh, peace for Ukraine. Yeah, actually, I was just going to add that piece of information uh, for Venezia. Uh, is um, it's it, it apparently is a very central place. Very people, various people passing. There are supermarkets. There's a shopping mall close by. There's a new maternity close by as well, uh, along with the business center. So this is a deliberate again, 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 a deliberate act of targeting civilians. I do hope that today at the end, I don't know if the conference, I think it lasts today and tomorrow, but I do hope at the end at the press conference, the leaders of this world are present. They are the foreign ministers of the other countries. They call it by its name. It's genocide and we should talk about it. It should be largely, largely on the newspapers. Insist with the newspapers in spread the word this is genocide it must stop russia stop this russia is a terrorist state and they must be stopped and called out for what they are thank you thank you peace for um anybody who hasn't seen it yet uh, check out the nest the most recent tweet added is a video that serhi sternenko one of the uh, ukraine journalists and bloggers has published of uh, how it looks like and the near the site of the strike in Vinica, uh, with extensive fires and crushed cars everywhere, and uh, you can't you can't even see the building that was struck. That's that, that's how much smoke there is, uh, just billowing from um, all all manner of places all around it. Aaron, yeah, mate, I'm, I've been looking at all for the last half hour. I'm I'm seething. I'm really am. We need to send them the weapons they need now. We we can't go tiptoeing around this issue now. They're deliberately targeting civilian infrastructure, not military. That's just really winding me up. Exactly, and and this is nothing but civilian infrastructure. It's a city. It's a square in the middle of a city, right? It's not a army base. It's not a not ammo storage. It's just a square in the middle of a city that has a theater on it and a hospital and some residential buildings and. You know, in a business in a, in a, in a sort of business uh, business administrative office building you know, it's not uh, nothing remotely military going on there and not one missile you know not one missile that uh, went off course three missiles apparently striking uh, all in the same all in the same place um, and this is where Ukraine needs more in the way of air defenses more in the way of sophisticated modern uh, best air defenses it can get uh, because that can you know, minimize the number of cruise missiles that end up uh, striking cities like we said this morning uh, but also crucially um, getting the weaponry needed to kick the Russians out of Ukraine and make it impossible for Russians to be conducting such such strikes in the future um, This will keep happening until they get proper adequate air defense systems in place otherwise it's going to keep happening every week exactly exactly and that's why they have to be you know they should have been there months ago and should have been there last week and they should be there next week and might might not still be there for for months not certainly not in sufficient quantities um, but yeah it's uh, as a uh, as our swiss artillery spindolino notes uh, 
you know, all of these strikes at the end of the day will harm Putin much more than they will help him because it reminds the undecideds in the West that Putin cannot be trusted and there's nothing to negotiate with him. And you also notes how the UK commitment and the US backing of the UK increased with every German strike on London during the Blitz, right? Even before, uh, even even before um, there was, uh, the, even before the US actually joined the Second World War. Um, and I think that is true and that is significant in itself as well. And it is these images that need to be on, you know, every media site around the free world uh, today and you know, tomorrow and for as long as it takes for for as long as it takes that there isn't sufficient weaponry in Ukraine. And we will only know that there is sufficient weaponry uh, operated by the Ukrainians when the Russians are no longer in Ukraine and Russians are no longer being able to strike cities in Ukraine. Uh, we've also seen uh, we've also seen ever more uh, S-300s used by the Russians uh, actually as a um, as a ground-to-ground missile system. They've been uh, they've been launching uh, these S-300 missiles at Kharkiv and at Mykolaiv. What that says is they are fundamentally becoming, you know, kind of, kind of desperate as well. And that's a good thing. But in desperation, just as Russians, when, when they were retreating back from the areas around Kiev and Sumy and Chernihiv, you know, often they committed some of the worst crimes against the civilians in the occupied territories then. And, you know, this seems to be similar, but at a larger scale. Desperate and in in desperation, trying to kill as many civilians in the west of Ukraine while they still can with these cruise missiles before there's adequate air defenses. There's sufficient air air defenses up there to actually prevent this happening anymore. Um, It's it's very very dispiriting, isn't it? Uh, When you see a, a perfectly normal city center being bombed like this, being set on fire by Russian missiles for the crime of being Ukrainian and for the crime of standing up to the Russian imperialists and for the crime of not letting themselves be subsumed, subsumed into the Russian empire. Right? And most of these missiles coming from Belarus, probably, and there's not a lot they can do again. My understanding is that the strikes on Vinitsa were from the Black Sea or the Sea of Azov, as in ship-borne missiles. But that is completely unconfirmed at this point, to the best of my knowledge. That's just the speculation that I saw previously. Um, and of course, you know, it, it, wherever they're, they're shooting them from, it's entirely plausible that they're shooting them from either uh, Belarus or from the Belarusian airspace, right, from strategic bombers. Uh, but wherever it is, wh- whether it's that or whether they're shipborne missiles uh, on the Black Sea or maybe they're you know, air-launched missiles from above the Black Sea, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Whatever it is, it's the same actors committing the committing the same crimes, and all of those are, you know, relatively similarly difficult to defend against, right? It's up to eight people that know. Of. Sorry, I said the new count is eight people now. Yeah, I I fear that it's going to go. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, I think, uh, and I fear that it's going to go much higher still, right? because this is uh, as a as a logo has noted. It is such a off-populated area, and uh, you know, middle of the morning. Um, just looking at the number of cars on fire there, it's um, yeah. Currently, it stands at least eight killed and eight wounded. But as noted, the the death toll and the casualty toll number is only going to only going I, to rise. I hope Ukraine really hits them hard today tonight. I really do. <sighs> Me too. Me too. And. Uh, you know, it wasn't just there, right? You had this morning, Russians hit a school in Mykolaiv. They were shelling Kharkiv. Um, no, there, there was apparently a missile strike aimed at Lviv as well as Vinitsa. Uh, there have been explosions in Cherkasy uh, Oblast as well, in central Ukraine, south of Kiev. No, they're going for everywhere and anywhere they, they can. And honestly, they don't really care about where they're going to be striking. Apparently, Russian propagandists uh, posted a video of uh, the explosions in the middle of Vinitsa. Right? And you can see the billboards there, and you can see that, that uh, statue there in the middle of the city. And they're claiming, oh, this is a military base in Haisin. Uh, not definitely not a, 
civilian target in the middle of a city. No, no, no. It just happens that a military base must have had, you know, advertisements for what is this for telecom? It seems and and a nice little statue in the middle of the city, in in the middle of the military base, because that's how military bases usually look like, right? With uh, roadside advertisement, roadside advertisements. That's uh, usually a key feature of a middle of a military base, I believe. Uh, Hopefully, the West um, ramps up um, weapons to Ukraine now. Exactly. Hopefully, and you know, hope, hopefully they will, and hopefully they will to a much greater degree uh, than before. Um, for for a little bit of more historical uh, context into this as well, because it is such a similar pattern of behavior. You know, back back to Pendolino, who sadly can't speak at the moment, but it's just writing this stuff instead, you know, saying that don't forget why the Nazis intensified the heavy bombardment of London. You know, once they gave up on their initial plans to invade the UK. They followed Göring's idea that a massive air campaign would knock off the British and led them and make them ask for a peace deal. You know, it was after they realized that there was no way to take the UK by force. You know, similar is happening now. The Russians are realizing there is no way for them to actually conquer Ukraine. So they have set out to you know, thoroughly and completely destroy Ukraine instead and you know, kill as many people as they can. And that's why they're targeting a, a busy square in a downtown of a city. Um, right? They're they're doing that because um, because they know that that's where they're going to inflict the greatest number of casualties, and there's going to be the greatest number of eyes on it, and there's going to be the most recordings of it because it's in the middle of a city in the middle of the day. Um, our our friend Olga from Odessa, Oscar Domesticated, she says that uh, according to the reports that she's seen, there were three caliber cruise missiles. Uh, but not entirely, uh, but not clear, obviously, where they where they came from as yet. I'm sure that the Ukrainian authorities are going to, uh, you know, note that and, and publish that in no, in no time over the next few hours as well. Dorman, may I? Yes, of course. I'm sorry. Um, I just seen, like, 11 seconds ago, Slava Ukraini just tweeted, an explosion rang out near occupied Kherson. The Russians are fleeing in different directions. In the Kherson region, a warehouse with quote-unquote saltpeter and humanitarian aid uh, is on fire again, the message reads. And then you can see uh, one picture uh, in Gazeta UIA where it shows a big, 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 big smoke uh, coming up. Good blast, Russians. Sorry. Technical word, term, sorry. Exactly, exactly. And hopefully they can substantially demilitarize the occupiers in Kherson there. Indeed. Uh, may, and I would just like to introduce a small piece of news. I don't know uh, if you saw uh, something I think I shared earlier. Um, it, it's, it's not in this context, but in a more, let's say, hopeful context that... Uh, French government uh, via the French company Matière is going to supply Ukraine with 36 or 42 um, pre, pre-constructed bridges. So I think there are lengths of 42 meters and 36 meters. So these are already it's temporary bridges, like, for example, if you are uh, rebuilding a bridge, you construct a, a secondary bridge on the side, or in this case, they also specialize in reconstructing uh, bridges uh, in countries that that have uh, suffered the consequences of bombing and shelling. So uh, it will be put to good use. Uh, I think their uh, engineers are going still to arrive this month in Ukraine to start rebuilding those bridges where are most needed, where they were destroyed in order to connect the different cities and, and the different, uh, and different villages that are in need uh, of connection. So uh, that's uh, on the more, let's say, positive and hopeful uh, news that I'd like to share. Thank you, Peace for Ukraine. Um, we know that there are many hundreds of, uh, hundreds of bridges that have been destroyed throughout Ukraine. Uh, thus far during the war, and that's why it's 
as you know, important to get replacements up, right? Uh, to get the infrastructure functioning as best as possible. And these sort of prefabricated bridges can be very important in that. Um, so, you know, so it's, it's good that they're, that they're being sent, but that's, uh, uh, every, every little bit of improvement like that helps. Adrian. Hello, Domen. I was just uh, watching this footage from Vinica and I was uh, pondering a little bit uh, yesterday morning after I saw the bombing of uh, Bakhmut, the shelling of Bakhmut in World War II style. I came on the space a bit emotional, calling not only the Russian military, but the Russian people, savages, for tolerating this. And um, someone called me out later on Twitter. Ooh, Twitter drama. Um, that, um, you know, you shouldn't call people names because not all Russians are savages. And uh, if you call them names, then people who are sitting on the fence are uh, less likely to believe you. And I would say, yeah, maybe it's justified when using... Uh, derogatory language uh, against someone, especially in an emotional context, uh, usually kind of robs you of the evidence. But I'm just wondering, watching this war, how a decent human being who has aspirations, I don't know, in the West, I mean, family, dreams, they think themselves as decent, they do their job, how the hell are they sitting, still sitting on the fence on this one? I just don't get it anymore. Uh, and um, I'm uh, obviously upset, but also I'm kind of fed up with having again and again uh, uh, to have to explain to people that these are not two equal moral actors and you have to choose between them. One is a country defending itself and the other is a terrorist state. So. Yeah, this this is my thought space this morning. And personally, if I choose to call them savages, in my opinion, they are. They act like savages, as we saw in many instances. And uh, their countrymen back home who watch TV and support the war are savages because for 20 years they enable this mentality. And the latest polling shows that they still overwhelmingly support the war. And when they have phone calls with their... Uh, relatives who are soldiers are on the front are they encouraging them to bring them some nice uh, electronics from Ukraine. So, yeah, I reiterate. Personally, I don't encourage you diplomatically to say that Russians are savages, but me, Adrian Purvu from Romania, I will say it loud and clear, uh, the Russian people and their military are savages. Thank you. And Adrian, just as you were saying that, there's another air raid alarm in Vinicius. Uh, because as we were noting earlier, Russians have had this A-50 um, air reconnaissance AWACS aircraft over Belarus. And we were expecting that they would probably use it for, you know, corrective fire, so to speak. And it looks like they're going to try and strike Vinicius for the second time. Uh, you know, something like an hour after the first time. So that there's more people out, more people out in the streets, uh, more people that they can kill. Um, in, in the city of Vinicia. Now, of the first salvo, apparently there were seven missiles sent, four of which were shot down by air defenses, and three of which hit the city center. Uh, as just noted, more, more are coming in, and Russians are sending more in for the simple reason that they want to kill more civilians in Vinicia. Let's call it additional supportive, supporting evidence for your thesis. Absolutely. And um, I was listening this morning to this uh, audio book called Barbarossa about, uh, by Jonathan Bimbley, I think it's his name. And uh, he's basic, it's a history of the operation, but uh, like the first few hours of the book go into a very lengthy um, um, explanation of the context of appeasement, of how the Russians collaborated with the Nazis. I'm right now at uh, reminding myself about the Molotov-Ribbentrop pact. Um, how shall I put this? First of all, in the context of appeasement, uh, the, it's so incredible if you just uh, brush yourself off on the history 
on how spineless the media in the West and the politicians were when they saw Nazi Germany coming to power, coming, rebuilding its army, uh, being threatening, annexing territories, and ultimately um, going to war. And um, I, I don't know, like this morning, I was just thinking that it's so blatantly obvious and we did it all over again. And I had a refresher on uh, Durante for the New York Times, who wrote very positively about the Moscow in the 30s. Um, and for any lovers of theater out there, um, in 1933, uh, George Bernard Shaw visited, um, visited Moscow together with some other intellectuals in a British delegation. Uh, and he whole, and obviously he was shown a curated tour. And um, when, uh, uh, when information about the Holodomor came out, reporters like the Welsh uh, journalist Jones, uh, who's, uh, who, there was a film made about him uh, about two years ago, Mr. Jones. Um, people like this were heavily attacked uh, in the press by people like Durante in the New York Times and uh, by uh, George Bernard Shaw himself uh, for spreading lies about the Soviet Union. And uh, to have a little echo of the tanky thing, when George Bernard Shaw left the Soviet Union in 1933, the year of the Holodomor, he said, I am leaving this land of hope and returning to my country of despair meaning the United Kingdom. So uh, the echoes of stupidity are still alive today. And um, when I finished the audio book, uh, when I stopped listening to the audio book and uh, jumped on the space, uh, the last image was, um, the last image described was the airport in Moscow uh, when uh, Ribbentrop came to sign the pact. Uh, the air airport in Moscow was draped with two big flags, one having a hammer and sickle, of course, and one having a swastika. So um, just a little bit of historical information to, um, uh, first of all, <laughs> uh, kind of disabuse the first notion that uh, the Soviet Union fight, fight, fought against the Nazis when they actually enabled them, and also to remind this echo of the useful idiots in the West not seeing tyranny and imperialism when it's staring them in the face. Thanks. Yeah, tankies existed before uh, Russian tanks first entered Prague. That's the, the long and the short of it, right? We have a couple of new people up. Uh, we have uh, Canberra Strategic Financial and Douglas Speicher. Uh, if either of you want to you know, say something. Uh, well, just to respond to that, I think uh, Adrian needs to understand that a lot of these people that have these polemicist views in Western media, they're given column space by virtue of their controversy, but they don't 